Now, recently, I heard the story of a couple in our church, George and Hope, and uh, with their permission, I would love to share some of their story with you. They moved to Nottingham from Nigeria in January, and when they arrived, they brought with them their little boy, Fanuel. But when Fanuel was born, he was diagnosed with a number of health complications, and so sadly and suddenly, at six months old, he died. And they were obviously far away from family. And so one day, as they were traveling across Nottingham on the tram, George felt prompted to go to church. And they saw the warehouse, this building en route. And so they got off the tram and they came inside. And during that service, George went forward for prayer. And it just so happened to be Father's Day. And so as he was being prayed for, he told me that he couldn't even stand because the only reason he was a father had gone. And it turned out that the person who came forward to pray for him was John Wright. And so John, on hearing the story, he immediately connected George and Hope up with a couple in the church he knew would get alongside them. And he was totally right. That couple ended up inviting George and Hope round to their home the very next evening um, for dinner. And they even drove them home afterwards when they found out that they'd come on the bus. When they discovered that George and Hope hadn't yet been able to have a funeral for Fanuel, they contacted John Bernard Carlin, one of our pastors. And though at that point they'd only been to Trent once or twice, John agreed that we would do everything that we could to support them with the funeral. And then when John went round to their home to speak with them about the arrangements, he discovered that they actually lived only a few doors down from another couple who are part of this church. And so he was then able to connect them up with that couple as well. And so when the day of the funeral came, both of these couples, as well as John and some members of our worship team, they were all in attendance and some of them prepared sandwiches and cakes for a small gathering of friends who came to join them afterwards, who were just blown away. Since then, the archers have been able to provide some practical support along with other members of the church who heard their story and who offered to help. George really sadly lost his mum last month and the church were keen to contribute towards a ticket for him to return home to Nigeria if he would like to. And so when I spoke with George last week and I asked him, you know, how all of this had impacted him in, in the midst of such a devastating situation, he said that he could not have imagined the support that they have received being part of this church. He said that the couple who initially invited them round, they are now his parents. Normally, he said, people give to the church, but the reverse is true this time. This is what Christianity should be. And I wholeheartedly agree, and I thank George and Hope for letting me share their story. You know, this morning, we're going to be focusing on the second hallmark in our hallmark series, which, if you haven't yet guessed, is compassion. As this story shows, this hallmark of compassion is evident in so many people in our church, as well as in all of the different ministry areas um, that we saw coming alongside George and Hope. But although these hallmarks are true of us, they're also things that we never want to neglect. 
You know, we want to keep pushing into compassion, to being outward looking, naturally supernatural, servant-hearted, generous, relational, and we want to do things well. And we want to grow in these things because like Susie pointed out a couple of weeks ago, we didn't just pluck these things out of thin air. We've 100% nicked them from Jesus. You know, they're values that we see in him and they're things that we, as his followers, want to emulate. Like Paul encourages the church in Colossae in Colossians 3.12, as God's people, we should clothe ourselves with compassion. It should be something that people see on us. Now, before we go any further, I do need to make a slight uh, confession. I don't actually really see myself as being the most compassionate person. Let me give you an example. Last year, Heinz, my husband and I, we went to Naples on holiday and we had a lovely evening planned, which started off with a swim in the Tyrrhenian Sea. But as I gracefully dove into the ocean, poor Heinz, he slipped off the concrete jetty onto his backside and just kind of slid into the sea. It was spectacular, to be honest. But when he then complained that his foot hurt um, and he damaged it in the process and he wanted to go back to the apartment, I was a little bit irritated because my lovely evening plans had been jeopardised. But it wasn't until we got back to the apartment that we both discovered that Heinz's shoe was literally full of blood. I probably should have been a bit more compassionate in that moment. Now, it's a silly example, but I could probably honestly tell countless stories of times where I know I've lacked compassion. And so as we delve into scripture and we take some time to explore how we can grow in this area, can I invite you to join me on this journey of becoming more compassionate? Because though there are clearly people in this church who are really compassionate, as we've already seen from George and Hope's story, we shouldn't see compassion as just a virtue that some people have. Jesus calls us all to follow his example of compassion. So back in September, if you, you remember, if you were here, John Bodley spoke on the story of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus teaches the crowd about loving God and loving your neighbour, and he uses a story of a Samaritan who stops to help a wounded man who's on the side of the road. And in that story, Jesus says it's out of his compassion that the Samaritan cares for the injured man. And then at the end, he says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. You know, Jesus here, he's expecting those who follow him to be people who live with compassion. But what should that look like for us? Well, a couple of weeks ago, Susie, she asked us this question, have you seen Jesus? And if we have seen Jesus, or if we take any time to look at him, then we can see that he is full of compassion. There are so many examples of Jesus having compassion for the people that he encounters, from the blind man and the leper to the widow, and even the mass crowds who just won't leave him alone. You know, Jesus is the greatest model of what compassion looks like. And so I think there are a few things that characterise his compassion that might help us as we step into this. 
And so those things are that he loves, that he acts, and that he is interruptible. So first thing, he loves. You know, there are numerous occasions throughout the Gospels where it it says that Jesus had compassion, or he says of himself, I have compassion. And every single time, the Greek word that is used is a word, splachnizomai. Everybody say splachnizomai. Wow, perfect pronunciation. You all nailed that. Now, this word splachnizomai, as well as being quite fun to say, it has a meaning that is far deeper than just sympathy or feeling sorry for someone. You know, the first part of the word splacha, it means internal organs. And so splachnizomai, it literally means to be moved so deeply by something that you are moved to your bowels. Yes, maybe not the most dignified image, I'll give you that. But it does paint a bit of a picture, doesn't it? In essence, as the medieval theologian Richard Sibbs once said, whatsoever Christ did, he did out of love and grace and mercy. And he did it inwardly from his very bowels. You know, it's it's the love that he has for people that motivates Jesus. We read in John 3.16 that that's actually the very reason that he came to earth in the first place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, his love was so great that Jesus, the only one who has ever walked this earth without fault, graciously and willingly gave himself over to die on our behalf. But if we look again at the story of the Samaritan, the word Jesus uses when he talks about the Samaritan's compassion, you guessed it, it's our new favourite word, Splachnizomai, which means that Jesus is expecting those who follow him to be people who are like this Samaritan and like him, who are moved to their bowels with love and compassion for others. Like the Samaritan, they're called to be people who look at somebody that they should have hated and still find themselves moved to their core with love. Now, somebody who was committed to this message of love and inclusion was Dr. Martin Luther King, who in fact delivered his I Have a Dream speech 60 years ago this year. But in another one of his speeches a few years on from that, Dr. King said this, this call for a worldwide fellowship that lifts neighborly concern beyond one's tribe, race, class, and nation is in reality a call for an all-embracing and unconditional love for all. When I speak of love, I'm not speaking of some sentimental and weak response. I'm speaking of that force which is the supreme unifying principle of life. Love is somehow the key that unlocks the door which leads to ultimate reality. You know, though Dr. King, he was speaking about the wider fight for civil rights in America in this speech, I think these same principles apply for us. You know, in our world that is currently so rife with division, we, as the church, we have an opportunity to enact this kind of all-embracing and unconditional love for all that reflects the true, compassionate heart of Jesus. 
In fact, this kind of radically compassionate fellowship is something that we see when we look at the early church. Acts 2, it says, all the believers were together from all kinds of different races and backgrounds. They devoted themselves to one another and they had everything in common. Now, I'm sure that it wasn't always easy, but we can see that they really tried their best to live this out. And we have an opportunity to do the same. You know, I think our small groups are a great environment where we can practice this kind of coming together from all different backgrounds to love one another. And this week I heard of one small group who recently they were having their regular small group meeting and they decided to start with a quick prayer and share before moving on to something else. But they ended up abandoning the rest of their plan for the evening in order to listen and pray for an hour and a half with one member of the group who was just really struggling. And the leader told me that it was just precious to see the way in which the whole group, some of whom had their own stuff going on as well, they just set themselves aside for that, for that evening in order to prefer that person. Now, I'm certainly not saying that this kind of stuff is easy. It must have been incredibly difficult for Dr. King and those who were alongside him in the civil rights movement to, to love those who were so against them. But I think when in our humanness we just don't feel like we have that capacity to love people, when it just feels like it's maybe just a little bit too hard, too impossible on our own, that's when we can rely on the help of the Holy Spirit whose fruit is love, as it says in Galatians. And we can ask him to change and transform our hearts so that we can love like him and we can love like Jesus. Because the reality is, if we're going to be compassionate, it has to start with our hearts. That's where compassion flows from. Now, maybe for you, loving other people with compassion might need to start by inviting the Holy Spirit to soften your heart. Maybe it might look like preferring somebody else over yourself or getting a better understanding of somebody who you maybe don't see eye to eye with or you find it difficult to love so that your heart can soften towards them. You know, whatever it is, I wonder what it could look like for you to open yourself up to love others with compassion. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus, he acts. You know, this deep, gut-wrenching, pit of the stomach kind of love, it didn't just end in a feeling, it moved Jesus into action. In the words of author and pastor Dane Ortland, he says, what Jesus is, he does. He cannot act in any other way. His life proves his heart. You know, Jesus is full of compassion, therefore what he does is compassionate. Now, to continue with our linguistics lesson, the Latin root of the English word compassion stems from two words, com, which means with, and passio, which means suffer. And so effectively, compassion means both this deep sense of being moved to one's core, but it also means to suffer with those who are suffering. You know, when I was writing this talk, I was thinking about moments in my own life where I've experienced this kind of tangible uh, compassion. 
And my mind went back to a time when I was 17 years old. And my boyfriend at the time, he had dumped me. And so that probably was the worst thing that had ever happened in my life at that moment in time. But I remember one day, I was just really sad and I was really hurting. And so I was sat on our sofa in the living room and I just cried. But then while I was crying, my dad walked in and as he came in, he could see the tears in my eyes. And so without saying a word, because he didn't really need to, he just came and he sat by my side and he wrapped an arm around me and he just held me just as I sobbed into his shoulder. And you can tell that's still a moment that when I think about it, I can still feel that sense of love and compassion that he had for me in that moment. You know, sometimes showing compassion, it does just mean sitting with somebody in it. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul, he writes that the God of the universe Though rich in glory, he came to live as a human and experience pain and poverty and suffering for our sake. We have a God who came to suffer with and understands our suffering. He came to sit with us in it. But Jesus, he also expresses compassion and meets people's needs in all kinds of tangible ways through his ministry. And so we can see that through all kinds of different verses. You know, he heals people, he cleanses people, he embraces them and he wants to bring them into his kingdom. He feeds people, he teaches people and he wipes away their tears, all things that he does while being motivated by compassion. Again, if we were to look back at the early church, we can see that they clearly followed Jesus' example of demonstrating compassion. You know, they prayed with one another. No doubt people were being healed. They sold their possessions um, to give to those in need. They shared their food with one another so no one would go hungry. And they embraced one another. You know, it's obvious that the church was always intended to be a people who act with compassion. And for us as a church, one of the key ways that we're able to do this is through our compassion ministries. You know, we hear story after story of the the amazing things that happened through Trent Compassion. Like when 17 prisoners gave their lives to, to Jesus at a church service run by some of our team and volunteers at Nottingham Prison back in January. Or the fact that um, I've heard that this year we've been able to set up another house for ex-offenders through Step Forward Housing to help people get back on their feet after release. So many of you guys serve as part of Trent Compassion, like Maggie, who on Tuesdays and Thursdays takes out a team week in, week out to do the soup run, and they're able to bring food and supplies to the guys who are living rough and sleeping on the streets of Nottingham. Or those of you who volunteer with Step Forward Money Advice, who've been so faithfully getting alongside and helping those who are living with debt during this cost of living crisis. But it's important that we don't, though we celebrate those things, we don't confine acts of compassion to one ministry area. We all have opportunities to act with compassion in whatever environment it is that we might be, whether that's with our neighbour or our colleague or our coursemate or our friends or our parents, whoever it is. 
Now, I don't know how many people were impacted by some of the floods that happened last week, uh, but I know one couple in the church who were, and part of their house was flooded, and they were nervous that it might spread. And so when members of the church heard about it, they went round to their house in order to help them. See, this couple, neither of them have family who live in Nottingham. And so it's just a precious opportunity for some of the church to be their family and get a little bit soggy in order to get alongside and help them. This week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Alan. And when he broke his leg and he wasn't physically able to attend church for a year, a whole host of different people, many from his small group, went round to visit him regularly. Some of them even went to the hospital to see him, just to make sure that he never lost that sense of church family and community. Now, he's been back in person since July, and it sounds like Alan is thriving. And so he just really wanted to express his gratitude for all the people who supported him through that and still do. You know, we might not all serve on Trent Compassion, and that is okay. But what are the spaces that you find yourself in? And how can you act with compassion towards others where you are? And so the final thing is that Jesus is interruptible. The, the, you know, when we look at Jesus, he never seems to be too busy to be compassionate. Now, I don't know about you, but often I know that busyness does prevent me from being able to engage with people with compassion. Like if I'm walking along Beeston High Street and I just turn a blind eye to the guys who are sleeping rough or... And this one is a real flaw of mine that I'm trying to work on. Um, when I don't take the time to read and respond to people's text messages, and I prioritise my own time over the person who might actually really appreciate a response from me or hearing from me. Now, I'm sure all of you are far better with your phones, and I just need to learn, but maybe some of you can relate. But Jesus, you know, he's not like that. I don't th honestly don't think Jesus would ever leave anyone on red, realistically. But in, you know, we can see examples like in Mark 6, just after Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has died. Jesus is trying to get away with his disciples and people just keep following him. And so instead of telling them to go away, says Jesus has compassion and he starts to teach them. Or in Matthew 20, Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way out of Jericho. And then a couple of blind men, they start crying out and everyone around is rebuking them and telling them to be quiet. But Jesus, he has compassion, and then he heals them. You know, Jesus' ministry on earth only lasted three years. You know, he would have been a busy man. You don't get that much done in three years just sitting still. And yet, he seemed to find the time to stop and show compassion to those who needed it. But I wonder in our busyness, how open are we to being inconvenienced by compassion? How willing are we to set aside our own comfort in order to meet somebody else's needs? You know, Jesus, he tells us to go and do likewise, not if you feel like it or if you've got the time. He just says, go. And you might be thinking, well, I'm on the go enough. I don't need another thing to add to my life. Life is already full enough. But the thing is, when Jesus tells us to go, it's not about taking up another activity or intensifying our already filled schedule. 
If we open our hearts and we allow ourselves to align with Jesus' heart and become people who are compassionate to our core, then it becomes less about doing compassion to tick a box and more about being compassionate people, joining in with God's purpose for our lives for the sake of his world. You know, when I chatted to George and Hope's spiritual mum to ask her why when John approached her that day would they drop everything to invite around this couple who they'd never met before. And what she said was, to be honest, it had nothing to do with the fact that it was John who asked them. If anyone asked, they would have done it. Because she said that when God just touches something, you can't resist. Meeting George and Hope and hearing their story touched something in their hearts that meant that they couldn't help but be compelled to respond. And what's amazing is that as I listened to her side of the story, she told me that getting alongside George and Hope had been just as much of a blessing to them. Recently, um, this lady, she actually had quite a significant accident herself. And George and Hope, they wanted to go around the very next day, as soon as they could, just to check in with how she was doing and, and find out how they could help. Compassion, it doesn't have to be an inconvenience. In fact, when we do it through a true heart of compassion, it's not. Instead, it can be just as much of a blessing to us as the people that we're getting alongside. See, I think this story is a beautiful picture of a full circle moment of two people met with love and compassion, reaching back out to express that same compassion right back. You know, we can be a church and a community who give out the compassion that we've received from others Wouldn't that just be such a beautiful picture of a church like the one that we see in Acts, where nobody had any need? Because instead of relying on just those one or two really compassionate people, we were all just actively living this out. And so to finish, in Proverbs 3.27, in the message version, it says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. See, we have a God who is undeniably compassionate. It's written all over the Gospels when we look at Jesus. But he tells us to also go and do likewise. You know, God wants to enact his compassion in this world and he wants to do it through his church. You know, being compassionate, it isn't just a feeling, it's an action. And if we want to be compassionate like he is, then we need to learn how to suffer with those who suffer. You know, we might be a large church, but as we've heard through these stories, Even amongst the masses, individuals are and they can still be seen. But I think that that only really works if all of us are up for playing our part. And so I'm going to ask you again, like I did at the beginning, will you, church, join me on this journey of being and becoming more compassionate? Amen.